Side Hustle Show 222, five real estate side hustles you can start on the cheap. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. Today, I want to share some ideas on how to get started making money in real estate beyond some of the wholesaling and traditional rental strategies we've talked about in the past. Now, I've got a love-hate relationship with real estate. I got lucky once, but I've made some dumb moves since then, and uh, those have kind of soured my uh, desire to get back into direct property ownership. Now, whether you've had a similar experience or you just don't think you have the cash required to get started, this conversation with Chad Carson might change your mind. He's going to outline some lower risk and lower capital ways to get started earning the traditional trifecta of real estate benefits being cash flow, appreciation, and tax advantages. Now, Chad started his real estate investing adventures straight out of college with just a thousand bucks to his name. He went from playing football for your national champion, Clemson Tigers, to using uh, some of the strategies outlined in this episode to begin building his own real estate empire which now stands at over 90 rental units co-managed with his business partner. He blogs about this stuff over at CoachCarson.com, uh, excellent site with tons of info over there, CoachCarson.com. Now he's in his mid-30s. Chad just uh, up and moved to Ecuador for a year with his wife and two daughters because when you're a semi-retired real estate mogul, you can do that sort of thing. Notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel with all of Chad's top tips from this conversation are at SideHustleNation.com slash Chad. Before we dive in, let me take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. The all-new FreshBooks is transforming how freelancers, side hustlers, and small business owners deal with their day-to-day -day paperwork. The award-winning cloud accounting software has been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way we work. Visit FreshBooks.com slash SideHustle to start your 30-day free trial today. We'll be back to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks, plus my top takeaways from this chat with Chad after the interview. The first real estate side hustle Chad shares is something he calls house hacking. Ready? Let's do it. It's not my term. I, I don't know who made it. I know Brandon Turner of Bigger Pockets talks about it a lot, but it's it's sort of a industry shorthand. But it always kind of I think it turns some people off when they first hear it. They're like, "Are you? What are you hacking into? You like yeah, breaking yeah. into somebody's <laughs> house, trying to make some money? You know, what is this?" So that's like the first thing I say. There's nothing illegal about house hacking. It's nothing like crazy. That basically what you're doing. And this is really the technique I I try to recommend across the board to more people than, than any other real estate technique because it's, it's basically it's, it's you're turning your residence. So particularly people kind of young in your career, if you're 20s, 30s, or at any point when you're just trying to kind of grow your wealth, you basically you live in a multi, small multi-unit property typically. And so maybe a duplex, a triplex, a quadruplex. And so you, you move into that, you get your financing like you always would, your owner-occupant financing, often with a smaller down payment and really good interest rates with owner-occupant loans. And then the magic happens, though, is that you rent out that second or third or fourth unit and the income that, that those produce either pay for part of your mortgage payment or in the case, like some examples I've had for my own house acts, I was actually living positive $100 a month in my residence. Basically getting paid, getting paid to live there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of it's, it's a hybrid between your kind of housing, just regular old housing that you live in and having a rental property. And I know there's a lot of debates in kind of like the financial blogging circles about, you know, you should never, home ownership's awful. You know, you should never live in it. It's the worst financial mistake you could ever make. And then other people, you know, argue against that. And I think this is one of those 
sort of happy compromises. And I've always looked at my investing very entrepreneurially, which is why I like, I love your podcast and everything you do about kind of side hustles and business. Because just say that somebody's in there 22 years old, which is kind of what I was when I first started house hacking. And you're looking, you have to live somewhere. And so your, your option is to go rent something. And that's a lot of the, you know, a lot of people do that. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And save up your money and invest it somewhere else. Your other option is to kind of follow the quote American dream and buy your three bedroom, two bath house with a two car garage, brand new, put 20% down and pay top retail price for a nice house that you can get comfortable in for the next 10 to 20, 30 years. That's kind of the other extreme. And house hacking is, I think, a much wiser choice than either one of those because you're getting some investment benefits from your residents. And, and if you just look at the future value, you know, just put in a plug in like a future value calculator and say, what if you were going to be paying $1,000 a month for your mortgage payment on that house? And instead, you were able to reduce that down to zero or to 250 bucks a month because you did a house hack. Think of all the things you can do with that extra 750 to $1,000 per month. I mean, what kind of business can you start? What kind of investments can you make? What kind of job could you do because that you would have had to do? You, know, you can do your dream job that makes less money, but that's what you want to do. So that's, that's kind of how I see house hacking. It's a way to hack that huge housing bill that everybody has. And then also down the road, you can move out of that two or three years from now and turn that into a good rental property that's solid and cash flows and, and kind of use that as a, a long-term investment as well. Are there some metrics that you're looking at when you're evaluating these things or what kind of numbers should people aim for? And I guess it probably varies market to market, but yeah, I know you have, so like you said, you were up hundred bucks a month on yours and it was, it was a fourplex. It was a fourplex. And I'll, yeah, I'll give you a rule of thumb. And that's always the disclaimer is like, I get people email me from like UK and Canada and California, like your numbers in South Carolina are ridiculous. Nobody yeah. can ever, we, we, that was a hundred years ago when we bought houses for your prices. And I said, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. But the house hacking principle works. The only question is whether it's going to pay for all of your payment because you're living in a really less, more kind of reasonable rent to price ratio market, like in the, you know, the middle of the United States, the Midwest, the South the suburbs of bigger cities. I think you can typically look for those kind of numbers. Where in the bigger cities, I think it might be even more imperative though, because why pay $3,000 or $2,000 for a mortgage payment or for rent when you could cut that in half maybe with, with using the rent from the other side. And so the metric I would use though, with that disclaimer is if in an ideal world, there's something called like just a rule of thumb called the 1% rule. The 1% rule says that if you look at the rent that a property brings in. And I'll use my quadruplex that I lived in as an example. Each one of those units rented when I bought it for $400 per month. That was you know 10 years ago. Okay. And so the goal I would have would be to have that rent be 1% of the total investment I have in that property. And so like the simple math is $400 per month is the per unit rent. I would want to have no more than $40,000 invested per unit. Or since this is a fourplex, I would want to have no more than $160,000 invested. As a house hack, that can get you pretty close to living for free or cheap if you have those kind of numbers. And that's going to depend on the tax, property taxes and the, what jurisdiction you're in. Some costs might be different from place to place, but that's a pretty good target. If you can do that, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And yeah. so that's just something people can look at and think about. Okay. So in preparation for this call, like I was looking around our local area for duplexes and, you know, multi-unit properties like this. And it seems like they were already all 
subdivided out. Like, so there are some duplexes, but like they're sold as individual units. Like you couldn't buy the whole house or maybe you, you could, but you'd have to have both owners like selling at the exact same time. Yeah. So it's like, they've already, they've already gone to this. So some friends of ours do this just with their own house, basically following the model of buying more house than you need and then renting out that extra space. And they happen to do it on a long-term basis, but you could absolutely do it on Airbnb basis or, you know, kind of rent out that extra space, extra bedroom, that mother-in-law unit. So that's definitely something that we're going to be looking at in future property acquisitions, although we're, we're happily renting right now. So what kind of financing is available? So, I mean, it's been a long, long time since rent was $400 a month or you could buy a fourplex for <laughs> 160 grand, but maybe in some parts of the country. Yeah. Are you still looking at 20% down for that? I guess that's probably what keeps a lot of young people renting. Yeah. So I'll give you a, couple, like a very typical house hacking financing example. And so most people would just go to a, like a mortgage broker or a mortgage banker and the best programs out there, I would think for house hacking. And I've, and I've written an article like showing some links, like more details about those programs if people are interested in them. But like the, the higher level view is government backed loans. Like FHA is a program that people might be familiar with federal housing administration loans. They've got a really good owner occupant loan where you move into the property, I think it's a three and a half percent down payment. Okay. But there's a program they have like an add-on to the FHA loan called, it's, I think it's a 203K re- rehab loan, a remodel loan. And so you could actually, a lot of the, the best deals you're going to have are going to need kitchen upgrades. or There's going to be something wrong with it for you to be able to get a discount off the full price. And mm-hmm. so if the question is, where do you come up with all that money or how do you get a good return on that money? And so these FHA loans will let you kind of build that the purchase price. So let's say you buy it for $200,000 by a duplex, but you're going to need to do $30,000 worth of repairs to make it up the rents a little bit or something to make it work. You could build that into the loan and you'll have to hire contractors and kind of make that part of your application. But it's very doable to be able to get in with a pretty light down payment. Of course, you're going to run the numbers ahead of time to make sure that's a financially feasible thing to do. But you could get into it really light and then also have some of the remodeling costs paid for. And so I think that's a great, there's also a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac kind of loan that's very similar to that FHA loan that does the same thing. They pay for your remodel costs. Oh, okay. So if anybody's interested in that, I would kind of start there and look at those loan programs. So that's kind of part A of your answer. Part B is what I did, which is a little bit different. I bought a pretty big fixer upper. And so I had to spend $45,000 in addition to what I paid for it. I bought it for 70,000 bucks. I had to put 45000 into it. This was the $400 a month per unit yeah, fourplex? Exactly. Yes. You got some pictures on your site. It was an ugly looking building, man. <laughs> yeah. It had Merry Christmas spray painted across the whole front of the, the building. <laughs> like yeah, I showed up, I said, man, this is, this is something else. And I'm pretty sure if I remember right, there were like chalk lines of bodies in like some of the, oh, some of the living rooms. <laughs> but, you know, so the, the rule of thumb in real estate to buy like the worst looking house on a, in a decent neighborhood. And so this this was on the bus line to Clemson University where I where I live and and so it was my wife and I ended up moving into this place when we got married I bought it before we got married and we lived there for two or three years and we would walk downtown from there so like it wasn't a dangerous location or anything it was just some landlord had totally neglected this property and let it run down over years and that's where your best opportunities are the the ugly ones smell bad and okay so if you if you get into real estate you got to get past that initial revulsion of like, oh, this place is horrible. It smells bad. And yeah. The worse it smells, the better because you're kind of driving people other competition away. And you can solve that. A bad smell is basically just ripping. You could rip out the floorboards and the carpet and you could rip out the subfloor and replace that for a few thousand bucks. And you solved your smell problem. So 
that's basically what we did. But I was also an entrepreneur. Like I didn't have a good steady W-2 income to be able to go to the bank and be a perfect borrower. So I had I went to a local bank and they loaned me 80%. And then I used private lenders, basically like individuals locally who were investors and they were willing to loan me the remodeling money. And I paid them an interest rate and second position on that property. And then once I fixed it up, I moved it in, I moved into it. And because I bought it super cheap, after all was said and done with closing costs and everything, I had about $120,000 invested in the property. But the, the new value of the property with the new rents I had were was $155,000. Okay. Yeah. Really, really close to your 1% rule. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So was, I was in it for less than the 1% rule, but the 1% rule was about the value of this property. Yeah. And so I refinanced it and I was able to borrow 120000 bucks and pay off the private money and the local bank loan using a, a owner-occupant long-term loan that I was able to get at that point. Yeah. Okay. No, I like this as a, as an interesting way to really reduce your housing expense. Cause like you said, that's something that everybody deals with. And for most people, that's the biggest single line item expense. So it, it definitely is for us by a long shot. And so trying to figure out some creative ways to subsidize that in a way with, with other people's rent in these multi-unit properties or even the spare bedroom thing. Yep. Hey, entrepreneurs, we know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards, you'll save at least 20% every time you rent a car. And you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first 90 days. So whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com slash business rewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com slash business rewards to learn more. Next on, on the list is live-in flips. And my understanding of this is if I live in a house for two years, I can then resell it at no gain. So it's like a not the house flipping stuff you see on TV because it's like a longer or slower term yeah. thing. But yeah. the advantage is like I'm not paying any tax or any capital gains on that, on the increase in the, in the value there. Exactly right. So it's, I always tell people like, this is the best angle in the US tax code. And I think it, I've, I've looked up in Canada and UK and some other places, it's very similar. Basically, they give you a break. If you're, they want owner occupants to move into properties and fix them up and turn them around. So there's been, they've given tax incentives for doing that. And the rule is, if, so if you buy a property that's going to be, and let's just say it's a fixer upper house, maybe it has a Merry Christmas spray painted across the front, just like mine did. You move into it and yes, you're going to slowly fix it up. You have to live in it two out of five years. Okay. A simple scenario would be you live in it for two years and you take your time, you look for good deals on cabinets and countertops and maybe you do some, I'm not really handy myself. I would kind of tell everybody like I write checks for everything, but I can basically tear a wall out and maybe paint a little bit, but any other skilled work is like not my thing. Yeah, I could tear it out. I don't know if I can yeah. put it back together. <laughs> I don't know if I can put that together either. It's like that puzzle. You always lose the last piece or something, you know. But the, the benefit of that is this is for somebody who's kind of handy or they don't mind living in a place that's not perfect right away. And then you slowly fix it up or you wait until the end to fix it up. And then let, let's say you bought a property for 200000 but other houses in the neighborhood equal square footage were selling for 300000 And you put thirty, forty thousand 40000 bucks into it over two years. 
you could then sell it for 300,000 and make, if it was an investment property purely, you would have to pay capital gains tax on that. But as it, because it's your residence and you lived there, there two out of five years, you can make 60, 70 grand tax free. And so I've, I've known people who, there's a, a blog that I'm friends with, Mr. 1500, 1500days.com. A big portion of their net worth was built initially from doing live-in flips. Oh, okay. It wasn't something they were going to do like the rest of their life. Like they want to settle down eventually, but they did. You can do three or four of these over a ten-year period and build three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of money without having to pay taxes on it. And for you to go out and earn and save that much or start a business to earn that much it would take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And so I see it as sort of like a period of your life, whether it's just one, like two or three-year period, or six, seven, eight years of your life, particularly when you're young, twenties and thirties, when you don't mind doing some of that you can make some really serious money on the side and then kind of settle down after that. And you can even rent after that. You could just own for 10 years, flip some houses and then go rent or do something else after that. Yeah. That's a huge buffer to your nest egg right there. If you can do that a handful of times and do it, do it well. So again, I was looking locally to see, okay, what might be out there? Just your standard, you know, $600,000 fixer upper is what I found in our town. But it, I mean, it was significantly undervalued relative to other houses that were selling and it just, like you said, it was totally livable, just needed needed some work, needed some updating. And if that's how we wanted to spend our weekends for the next <laughs> several years, like we could, you know, we could absolutely do that. Yep. Now for sourcing these properties, would you go like straight MLS, Redfin, or would you try and find the off-market deals? Yeah, off-market's always best. When I got my start, I got started buying MLS properties as well. And so you always go there because that's like where a lot of people list their houses. But yeah, you're only hitting the tip of the iceberg. If you do that, like if you, if you really want to get serious about finding the best deals, you really have to kind of get out in the neighborhoods and do it yourself a little bit. And there's a long list. We, I'd be happy to go over other ways to do it. But like my favorite ways are super simple. It's just you look on a map, look on Google Maps. And if you live in a town, you know where the areas are that have older homes that are like the more desirable places to live where people talk about saying, yeah, that's, that's the place to live. It's close to such and such. It's close to that park or it's got the greenway going by there. Like you always start with a desirable location. You don't want to like go to some, just because houses are cheap two hours out in a bad location next to a factory. You know, that's, that doesn't mean, that's not a good flipping house. You want to start in a good location, but then you got to go look for the diamonds and the rough in those locations. And what, what I like to do, this is just kind of the tried and true method, is you can get in your car and just drive really slowly through neighborhoods. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But the even better would be, you have a young kid, right? Same way as, as me. Yep. I love just getting some exercise since I've had kids, just pushing the stroller, carrying them on the, in the carrier, make it your exercise to walk around neighborhoods. And particularly in the evenings or on Saturday mornings, you will be amazed the different perspective you get when you get on the ground in a neighborhood. And so th there's a few things you'll notice. One is that you're going to, every once in a while, it might be one out of a couple hundred houses, but you're going to see these vacant houses sitting there. A house where like that grass has grown up or you can tell that there's no blinds in the windows. And so you find these little vacant houses and you say, huh, that's interesting. And you know, maybe the, the neighbor's out cutting their grass next door and, you, and you're, you walk by with your stroller and say, we're looking for a house in this neighborhood. Do you know what's going on with this one? Are they looking to sell? Okay. And you'll be amazed. Like neighbors will spill the beans. Like, yes, <laughs> so-and-so moved over there or they got in a divorce. Uh, you know, just, they'll just tell you everything. And, and at the end, you can say, well, do you have a way I can get in touch with them? I might be interested in buying it. Oh, yeah, here's their phone number. It's kind of just like that it sounds super simple, but I tell people that all the time. And there's so few people who are willing to do that. Like everybody's looking on right. MLS. That's fine. 
but this is, it has to do with hustle. You know, you got to get out there and you got to find a way to like fit into your schedule. Everybody's busy, but you can exercise, you can walk, you can spend three or four hours on a weekend. You can do a little bit of Google searching and Redfin and MLS too, but just doing that and maybe on a three or four hour time on a Saturday morning, you find five vacant houses, you find three for sale by owners. You might have a list of like 10 properties that are interesting. And you'll, you'll either call that property, you'll drop them a note in the mail, like look up their mailing address online somehow. You just try to get, reach out. And I've, over the years, 15 years, I've sent lots of little handwritten notes out. And that's been the most effective way I've bought properties that nobody else knows are for sale. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's similar to the best passive income model guy, the, the raw land flipping guys, like, you know, cross-referencing these lists of basically vacant lots or, you know, parcels of land with out-of-state owners and back tax, you know, who owes back taxes. And then yep. just, like you said, sending them, sending them a letter, sending them an offer. It's kind of a numbers game, but eventually you get some, get some takes or get some hits. So, yeah. Okay. I like that one. Good, cool, cool way to kind of build up that nest egg tax-free. I'm thinking, hindsight is 2020. We've we done a lot of things differently <laughs> with regards to real estate. Hey, we all could. No worries. It's yeah. just like, but yeah, it's, and the other thing I'll say just before we leave that subject is, you know, there's a lot of investors out there who go out and just send letters to people saying, I want to buy their house. If you're doing this as a live-in flip or you're doing it as a house hack, you have a huge advantage because you're actually going to live there. And so yeah. housing is an emotional thing. You know, people get emotional, even if it's, they inherited a house, it's the house they lived in when they grew up. And I think they want to know that it, in some ways they want to get a price. You know, there's always, it's always money, but there's also an aspect of, is this person going to respect my house and treat it well and take care of it? And if you send a letter, it's like my wife and I are looking to buy this house. We have a little one-year-old little girl and we, we just want a nice place that we could make our own and really put some love and care into it. And we noticed your house there on such and such street. We don't know if you're looking to sell, but we, if you are, we kind of letter in the world of direct mail, like getting a half a percent response is good. But if I send out 10 letters like that, I'm going to get 30, 40, 50% response rate. Even if it's just curiosity, just to say, hey, yeah, it's interesting. Got your letter. I'm not looking to sell, but may I know <laughs> so-and-so down the street is looking to sell. I'll, let me give you his number. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I like it. All right, Chad, next on our list is master leasing. Can you tell me what master leasing is all about? Okay. So everybody's familiar with renting. So if you're renting right now, Nick, you have a lease with your landlord. Yes. So what this is basically doing, this is one of my favorite techniques in real estate that's not used very often is basically you're going to somebody, particularly this is again, this is probably a landlord who's not taking care of the property as much. Maybe they're up in years and they're just kind of tired of it or not doing it or whatever. And you approach this the landlord and and let's go back to a quadruplex example. Let's say that they had a tenant they had to evict last month and they just were so tired of it. They're not even they haven't even re-rented it yet. The person tore that unit up. And so it's sitting there vacant. And they have, and they're just letting it sit. So you could go to that person and say, I'm interested in your property. And I'm used to putting some sweat equity into properties, helping rent them out. Instead of just leasing that one unit, I would be interested in renting the entire building from you. So let, let's say he's, he's getting 400 per month. I know that was my number earlier. So let's say he's, I would be willing to pay you a thousand dollars per month, but then I want to have the right to sublease those units out. So instead of you having to go out, Mr. Landlord or Mrs. Landlord, and find new tenants, I'd be willing to guarantee you a lease payment for the next three years. And so you will get that, whether it's full, whether it's empty, and then I will go find the tenants and I'll have to try to rent it for more than I'm paying you. And I'll take care of it. I'll put some money into it to do to kind of clean that unit up and fix it up. I'll paint the outside. And so the, the, the benefit to 
the, the landlord is, if you're a trustworthy person who knows what you're doing, then they can kind of have a little bit more hands-off landlording relationship with that property. And for you, you're able to get into it pretty light. Instead of you having to go to the bank and put 20% down, you're able to pay the landlord the money. Yeah, the thousand bucks a month. Okay. Thousand bucks a month. And then I'll go out and try to rent it for 1500 bucks total. And so I can make a $500 a month spread using my hustle. You know, I'm gonna have to manage the property and do all that. But that's the point is this is kind of like a side job. Yeah, but you don't have much downside risk there either. Like if they, if somebody tears up the property at the end of the day, you'd still don't own it. Exactly. And you might, and to be fair to the landlord, you might build in something saying, look, if, if the tenant tears this up, you have to fix that. And so you're going to need to build in, you're going to need to have a little bit of a reserve. Now you get the security deposit from your tenant, first of all, Yeah. but you also have the risk if they tear it up, you're going to need to paint the walls up and put it back in the condition that they, you agree on with the landlord originally. But if the heating and air goes out, you know, the big stuff that costs you a bunch of money in real estate, you have an agreement with that landlord that they're, they're still covering that. They're still paying the taxes and insurance. And so it's kind of like a partnership and you're going to need to find the right seller, the right owner. But again, when you get out there and you get off the MLS and you start talking directly to owners, you can find a lot of people who you negotiate face to face and you can find some win-win arrangements. You could do, just imagine if you made a business out of master leasing, what if you did four or five of those and your job was to manage those five buildings, 500 bucks a piece. You know, you can make yourself, you can start building that up and, and having a nice little income stream from all those without a lot of upfront capital. It sounds similar to just property management, but just kind of pitched in a different way instead of like, hey, when it's vacant, you're not going to get paid, but we're going to try and find you a tenant. It's like, no, well, I'm going to pay you all the time, but probably for a bigger fee instead of my seven to 10% property management fee, you know, hopefully you can make a little bit better margin on that. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Is, is this, you're using your property management skills but the difference is you actually have a contract with them. So like you're, you're not managing it as an agent, you're managing it as a principal. You're like, you're the, you own that contract, that master lease with that person. And, and just so people think this isn't like, like some wild eyed kind of crazy idea that nobody ever does. I'll give you a couple of examples. There's a parcel of land in my town in Clemson that is like the prime piece of property, like right across from the campus, downtown, professional company came in and leased that piece of land for like 50 years, or I don't know how long their lease was, but they leased it from the owner. The owner wasn't willing to sell, but they were willing to lease it to him, master lease it to him. And they built, okay. they put a $50 million building on top of their, on top of that ground lease. Wow. And so this is like a kind of a more professional technique. You know, people in Manhattan own ground leases on skyscrapers. The whole skyscraper was built just because they had a lease. They didn't own the property. And so this is a this is not a kind of new technique. This is just it's kind of new that people think about applying it as a side hustle to something that a little small residential property. But it's it's a technique that people use in real estate all the time. Interesting. Actually, now that you bring it up, like a friend of mine was just telling me about doing this for a house in Vietnam, kind of like in this beach town in Vietnam. Uh -huh. And he's like, look, I'm going to rent out your whole house. And with your permission, I'm going to turn around and list it on Airbnb. And so he's making the margin between kind of his long-term lease rate that he's signed up with the landlord and then kind of the short-term vacation rental rate that he's able to get for the house. And he says like, I think he probably needs, you know, 50% occupancy or something like that to, to break even. And, af and after that, it's all, it's all profit. Exactly. But he, you know, manages the guest turnover and, and kind of does all that stuff. So I was like, oh, you know, there's, there's different angles for this one as well. So yeah, that one's pretty cool. That's master leasing. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. The next one on our list is leasing agent, which my understanding again is like, is this a thing outside of New York where it's like, okay, I got to pay this person to like help me find a, a tenant for my property? Yeah. It's, I mean, bigger cities, it's more normal. Like I'm in a little small town and people, it's not as typical to like go out and hire a third party leasing agent for your, you know, like if you were going to go rent a property, you wouldn't hire an agent to go find you a leasing in, in my town. Yeah. But in bigger cities it's very typical, but it's also what I see this as, and this, we're talking about side hustles. So like this particularly if you're somebody who's interested in getting into real estate investing, but you don't have a lot of knowledge, you don't have a lot of money. Like the question is, how do I get started without a lot of capital and knowledge? Like, what do you do? And so I think this is a really good idea. If you're going to be a landlord, you know, you need to learn, but it'd be nice to, to make some money while you're learning. The core part of the rental business is finding tenants, qualifying them and kind of matching them to a property. Typically, I think in most places I've seen you would actually go get a either a property manager license if, you, if your state does that, or a just a regular real estate license, which kind of sounds like a big deal. But it, you know, I think I spent four or five hundred bucks plus week or week and a half of classes to do mine. So it wasn't like it was not that big a deal. And you kind of learn about contracts and how how they work and how the real estate licensing world works. But once you have that license, you could go out and find, for example, a property manager or let's say you found a local investor who had 50 properties. And I can promise you as, as a, an investor with a lot of properties, one of the <laughs> biggest, the biggest time consuming things is finding tenants. Like you, like yeah. when you put a, when you put an ad on Craigslist, you put signs out there, put it on Zillow, you get tons and tons of calls 
and you got to go show the property. And that's just one of the things you have to do. And so what, as a leasing agent, what you could do is you could say, I'd be willing to go show the property. I'd be willing to kind of hold their hand and get them all the way from the point that they call on the ad all the way to the point that they submit an application. And I'll, I'll bring that application to you, Mr. Landlord or Mrs. Landlord. And once, and you can approve it. It's up to you whether you approve them or not, but I'm going to bring them to you. And then if you lease it to them, then you will negotiate with that landlord what they'll pay you. And it could be anywhere from a half a month to a month of rent. Okay. And so if it's a $1,000 rental, you might get a $1,000 or a $500 leasing agent fee. And, and that's something you could do on the side. You could do it as a college student. You could do it as like kind of a new person who's just trying to get into real estate investing. Maybe you do a couple of those a month and make 1000 to 2000 bucks a month on the side. And you're, you're getting some money. But I think the more important part is you're learning how to do one of the most important parts of the rental business on somebody else's dime. And I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Okay. So the sweet spot is finding that landlord who maybe has several properties that just doesn't want to do it themselves anymore. But before they have like a full on property management company, that's like doing this whole entire process for them. Exactly. It could be that landlord, but you could also go to the property managers. I mean, most, most property managers have leasing agents on on staff and you can offer to oh, be, okay. you can offer to be an independent contractor and to say, you know, because I, I know a lot of property managers who are growing and they're always having to hire staff and they would rather not hire a new staff member sometimes. They'd rather hire like an independent contractor just to work part time. Okay. And you think you need a license to do that? It seems like a service that you could provide. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's I mean everybody <laughs> everybody do your own homework. But yeah, it's real estate's pretty heavily regulated just because there there's always your bad apples who kind of abuse the situation and who don't do it right and don't follow the rules. So okay. I don't think it's a huge hurdle, although it's a little bit bigger hurdle than maybe some other businesses you could start like that. You don't have to have a license to house act. You don't have to have a license to flip houses. When you start in master leasing, you don't have to have a license if you do it correctly. But with a leasing agent, I would, I, I'm pretty sure you do. All right. Well, do, do your homework. Don't get in trouble. <laughs> do, do see what it takes to get a license in your state. Like maybe it's not that, that big of a, of a burden. So, all right. That brings us to point number five or idea number five. And this is bird dogging, which is one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite phrases. And this is how you got started. Yeah. Before the fourplex, this is kind of like your, yeah. your foray into the real estate world. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like a, a beginner strategy, but it's, it's also, it could also be an exit strategy. Like people just want to kind of get into it at the end. And so like, the way I got started was, again, I'm graduating from college. I was a biology major and had a German minor. So I could go to a house and tell you what like the species of the tree was. And I could tell you what it was <laughs> called in German. But like I had no clue anything about my dad had owned rental properties growing up. So that's kind of what I was familiar with. But I, I had never been in the business. I didn't know. So like for me, getting started was, was like, what, how do I do this? You know, I, I didn't have any college debt. I had a scholarship to play college football. So I didn't, luckily, I didn't have debt, but I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have it. So, so my way to do it was, was, was bird dogging. And for those who didn't, like I grew, I grew up in the South and on, on, you know, we'd go out in the country. And so I, I'm pretty familiar with what bird dogging meant, but bird dogging is kind of like a hunting term where if people were hunting for birds, they would take a dog and the dog would go sniff around and like point, like literally like it would turn like stiff as a board and point to the bush and say, there's the, you know, I smell some birds in there. And then the, he would kind of, the dog would kind of scare up the birds and the hunter would shoot the birds and eat, they'd have dinner that night. So that's, that's, that's the analogy for all the people who aren't, who didn't grow up in the country like I did. So you, what you're doing as a bird dog is you are being the person who on the front end of a real estate transaction, you're sniffing out the potential lead for a deal, an investor who is looking to flip and rent properties. 
that person is has money, they're experienced, they're busy, and they don't have time maybe to do like what I was willing to do. I'm just out of college. I can hustle. I can walk neighborhoods like I talked about earlier. Yeah. I'm willing to send out letters. So all I had was time and hustle. And the benefit for me was I didn't have to learn how to analyze the deal. I mean, I had to, I had to know some basics, but I didn't have to learn the entire real estate business. I didn't have to come up with the money. I didn't have to take the risk. All I had to do was go point and, and say, hey, that's, <laughs> that seems like a really good deal. What do you think? And they say, yeah, that does seem pretty good. Why don't you, you know, get me a phone number? Talk, let me talk to the seller. And so if that person buys the property, and here's where the licensing thing comes in again, my understanding of needing to, to be able to make a, you're basically making a referral commission. You're not, you're not like a regular real estate agent who shows you the house and does all that stuff. You, all you're doing is passing on a lead to the other person. And, and it's, that's a pretty standard thing in the real estate industry. And they, yeah. they pay them referral commissions. And so it might be a thousand bucks. might be, in my case, it was 2000 bucks. Every time I brought a, a deal to this investor who bought it, I got paid 2000 bucks. And that was my incentive to go out and hustle and find the deals. Yeah. You can imagine you find a couple of those every month. You're, you're doing great on the side. Yeah. Especially straight out of, straight out of school, for sure. Exactly. And so I, I made, that was my first year in business was doing that. I ended up finding 12 deals for the investor. 2000 times 12, that's 24 grand. I lived super cheap. I was frugal and I saved up that money. And then my second year in business, I went off on my own. So, so I learned a lot from bird dogging. And then I was able to translate that and say, all right, I know how to find deals now. That's one of the hardest things to do. Now let me go partner with somebody who has the money and then we'll go flip a house. We'll go do that. And I'll make a bigger chunk than 2000. I'll try to make 10,000 bucks on it or 20,000 bucks on it yeah. on the next one. And so how'd you get connected with that one investor? Were you going to like investor meetings or was just somebody that's in your network who you knew was into this business? So my, mine was a little easier. I told you my dad was a rental property owner. So yeah, I actually moved into the, back into the house back in Noonan, Georgia, where I'm from and, and said, Hey, Hey dad, you know, you've been telling me you're looking for deals and hard to find deals. Can I go out and find you some? And I read that book you had on your shelf. And so I actually bought my father properties, but I've had other people who I've helped bird dog who start off by going to real estate investor meetings. Like this go to you go to like there's RIA groups and there's bigger pockets local meetups in your town. And I think you'll find if you get into this, like the thing that everybody wants is a good real estate deal. Like everybody wants it. Like you could you could go totally find, you could go find like, you know, hey Nick, you know, I heard you're looking for a, a live in flip or a house hack, you know, can I go find one yeah. for you? you be, I'll be a bird dog for you. Wouldn't you pay somebody two grand if they brought you a deal that made you a lot of money? Oh, for sure. It's kind of a no brainer. You got to talk to people, but it's just like any other business. You just start from the end. Like who's got the money, who's willing to pay you, go talk to them, go give them a value proposition, give them a pitch. And the pitch in these cases, I think is pretty clear. Like, all right, I'm going to bring you a deal that's good. And if it's not good, you won't buy it. So it's not a super tough thing to do. Gotcha. So this one for the bird dog thing, because it's a commission, even if it's just kind of an informal relationship with an investor pretty much to be official, to be legit, you're going to need a real estate license for this one too. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, if you call it a downside, that's the downside. You're going to have to have a real estate license and you'll, it's something called a referral brokerage, your typical brokerage like Remax or whatever, like Keller Williams, those kind of things. Those are your like kind of full service brokerage companies that there, there are, if you Google a referral agent brokerage, referral agency, you'll find some that you basically pay them a hundred bucks a year and you'll pay them a piece of your commission. So I think the going rate might be like 20%. So if you make a $2,000 commission, you're going to have to pay your broker 20% of that. So like 400 bucks or so and liability insurance and stuff like that. And 
with real estate, there's like there's contracts, you know, there's there's things involved that are people can sue. So that's kind of your cost of entry into that business is that you're gonna have to get you get a, a basic real estate license, three or four hundred bucks and some time, and then you go pay a hundred bucks a year to that broker and then give them a, a small cut of each one. Again, I, I think that's are you gonna make this a career? Probably not. This is gonna be like a one or two year thing. And if you do it well, like if you if you bring a bunch of leads to investors or you could bring leads to other agents, let's say you talk to a person and they weren't a good candidate for the investor, but they did want to list their house. You could bring that lead to a, a listing agent. And if they make a commission, they pay you maybe 25 percent of their commission. You have a big audience of people. You have investors, you have realtors, you might have property managers. Somebody wants to rent their house out. So you're, you're, you're a very valuable resource for a lot of people. And I, I think you can make a good business out of it. But I think the, the education you get while you learn how to find deals is even more valuable because you're getting paid to, to learn how to do it with a lot of, with a very low risk. And then the next step for me, at least, was let's become an investor. Let's buy a house hack. Let's buy a flip. Let's buy a, a rental property and, and kind of take that to a little bit to another level. Yeah, you're working on one of the, like you said, one of the most important skills is finding these diamonds in the rough deals. And absolutely, once you have a little more capital to play with, or once you kind of get your feet wet in in the business and learn a little bit more, it's like, yeah, instead of settling for the 2000 bucks referral commission, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be the investor on this. I'm going to make the the bigger yeah. chunk of money or, or even turn that into a long-term cash flow property or long-term equity building property. Exactly. Yeah. This is fascinating stuff. So, so Coach, thank you for joining me. You guys can learn more at CoachCarson.com. He's got some awesome resources over there. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation, real estate related or not. We just want to hear what you got to say. Yeah, I, I, always, I always like to tell people to hustle. I know that's the name of your, your <laughs> podcast, but it's helped me. You know, I played football in college. I've, I've been an entrepreneur and I've done a lot of stupid stuff too. Like I made a ton of mistakes and the thing that always kind of pulled me out of there was just being willing to get up early, to stay late. And it's not a forever thing, but it, I kind of see it as your superpower. You know, if you're willing to go above and beyond and be the first person there and the last person who leaves and it just, it opens up tons of doors and it's, it's not a trick. It just takes effort. It takes some want to, but it has definitely made a, I think the hustle factor is kind of one of those wild cards. that's hard to compete with. Absolutely, man. That's, that's the name of the show. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate you having me. You bet. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. When you begin to score more clients for your side hustle, you're going to want an organized and professional way to get paid. That's where FreshBooks comes in. Now, one thing FreshBooks really prides themselves on is their customer support. There are no automated phone menus and everyone in the company actually starts working in the customer service department. So you know what? Let's call them up and see what happens. Richard, you got me on the first ring. <laughs> For sure. We want to keep you guys on your toes, too. Well, I'll tell you what. You are live on the Side Hustle Show podcast that FreshBooks is sponsoring, and I just wanted to do a live on-air feature to see how quick you guys would pick up the phone. Um, awesome to meet you. What's What do you like best about working for FreshBooks? Uh, definitely the culture. <laughs> and the customer that we get to talk to every day. Well, very cool, man. Thanks so much for taking the time and, and for proving the, uh, the fanatical customer service there. Sounds good. Have a good day. <laughs> you bet. Bye-bye. See, they're not messing around. And as a Side Hustle Show listener, you can try FreshBooks completely free for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle or enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. 
All right, my top takeaways from this call with Chad. Number one, your hustle is your superpower. I think that one is worth repeating because our effort is really one of the few things we can control in this world. Takeaway number two was to talk to people. This one is hard for little old introverted me, but the best deals aren't found behind a computer screen. They're out there in the bright and scary real world where you can start conversations and get some uh, down-to-earth intel that most of your would-be competitors aren't going to see or aren't going to hear. And takeaway number three was location, location, location. The number one rule of real estate, right? Uh, To keep your risk low, the ugly house in the good neighborhood, as Chad says, is always going to be the good house in the ugly neighborhood. But curious to hear your thoughts on this one, since real estate is something that touches pretty much everyone. We all got to live somewhere, but with a little more thought and a little more hustle behind that choice, maybe we can reduce our housing expense and begin to make it profitable as well. Be sure to stop by sidehustlenation.com slash Chad to download the free PDF highlight reel from this conversation. And that's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet my guest who quit his full-time engineering job to earn a living selling piano lessons online. It's a fun one. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.